Take your Bibles. Just turn around and take your Bibles. Don't sit down. I'm, you're going to be seated in a minute. Just take your Bibles. Turn with me. It's okay, D. We all love you. Just, you can keep playing though, D. Thank you. Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit, come back. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And look at your neighbor and announce to them the subject matter of our conversation, the turnaround. And then turn around and tell your other neighbor the turnaround. And then turn all the way around and tell somebody that you haven't said or seen or talked to and I don't know how many weeks and say the turnaround. We're going to stay in the same rhythm of conversation that we've been in over the last several weeks. I'm so excited about how God has spoken to us through this series. In fact, today I'm going to pick up exactly where we left off at last week because at the very end of the message last week called expiration date or no expiration date, I gave to you this thought that I did not have time to fully articulate. And today I want to go back and capture that thought and spend time just talking about it. That thought went something like this. The fruit in our lives is produced when we have the perseverance to stay planted even when we don't know the plan. Hold on a second. That needs to resonate in your spirit. The fruit in our lives is produced. Deanna, when we have the perseverance to stay planted, even when we don't know the plan. point that I'm trying to make is the thing that you are so desperately seeking is generally birthed in an atmosphere of patience, not understanding. Good Lord, have mercy. You see, we're always trying to make sense of things that we were never meant to make sense of. And what you need to do is have faith as your thing when things don't make sense. Good Lord, have mercy. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In fact, the Bible says that as far as the heaven is from the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. That very thought conveys to us the responsibility that we have to continue to believe and to persevere in him, even though we don't know the plan. You see, just because you can't see it doesn't mean he didn't say it. Just because you can't feel him doesn't mean you will fail. But if you'll continue to persevere in the pressing of life, you'll receive the blessing of heaven. Good Lord, somebody needs to hear this. The apostle Paul wrote, I was pressed but not crushed, persecuted not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Because through the death of Christ, you can see the life of Christ through my life. Good Lord, have mercy. Father, we thank you for this day. But God, we ask you to come into this place and lift off of us the things that are coming against the dreams that you have placed within our hearts. The aspirations that have come from heaven, that have been deposited in our lives, may you pull off the things that are opposing them. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for the victory. Yes. High five your neighbor and say the turnaround. The turnaround. The turnaround. And then you can turn around and be seated.
I'm going to take you to a passage of scripture this morning in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 says this, it begins this way in verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. Everyone say tested. He tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham. Abraham said, here I am. I just want to read a few verses just to establish some direction. Then we'll come back to this passage of Scripture after we do some work in another passage of Scripture. Ultimately, we will land in Genesis chapter 22. But here is Abraham. He's received the promise from God. He's 100 years old. He's finally had this son by the name of Isaac. And he's actually older than 100 years old at this point in time. And God has shown up. And, but now God is testing Abraham. And Abraham doesn't realize that this is a test. But God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham. And Abraham says, here I am. In the original language, Richie, the Hebrew, that term, here I am, is a term of endearment. It's a term that means like, here I am, daddy. Here I am. And I have to wonder, when was the last time as Christ followers that we said to God, here I am, send me. Here I am. I'll go. Here I am. Use me. You see, what I've noticed as a pastor is most often we say, God, if I know your plan, it's only then that I can say, here I am. Last week, I preached this message to no expiration date where I was talking to you about the promises of God and how they never expire in your life. And they're, they don't expire like a carton of milk in your refrigerator, but yet sometimes the scenarios in our lives, Shannon, play out in such a way that, that the things that transpire make us think that the promise of God has expired. But what I am here to declare to you today is if God has promised something over your heart and he sealed it over your heart, it is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And what I'm here to tell you is all hell may break out in your life, but God will cause his promise to be realized because there are no expiration dates with the promises of God. That's the message that I preached last Sunday. So not this past week, but the week before, in preparing for that message, someone in this church, uh, our life coaching pastor, Tim Jones, he sent me a text. And the text that he sent to me somewhat placed me in a conundrum. It conflicted with the very thought Jamie, that there are no expiration dates on the promises of God. Because the text that he sent to me said this. It said, I just heard these words. Every opportunity God gives you has an expiration date on it. Hold on a second. Every opportunity that God gives to you has an expiration date on it. But yet, I'm, I'm preaching there are no expiration dates with the promises of God. But then I came to this realization that it's not a contradictory point. Because I began to understand that there are no expiration dates on the promises of God. But there are certain opportunities within the promise of God. And our unwillingness to seize those opportunities might expire. Whoa, Lord have mercy. There are no expiration dates on the promises of God, D. But there are opportunities that arise within that promise that if we don't seize those opportunities, our unwillingness to act upon those opportunities might just cause that opportunity to expire. The point that I am trying to make is that we all want the promise of God in our lives, but are we willing to do what it takes in order to realize that?
And God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Here I am. Here, here I am. You see, he's been waiting for a child. He now has this child by the name of Isaac. The promise is there. It's there. Here I am. He's finally received the promise. And the Bible says that through Isaac, all of Abraham's descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so he says to, to God, here I am. But then in verse 2, you've got to see what happens. There's a turnaround. It says, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Oh, 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 hold on a second. This is not what I expected. This is not, Dan, how I thought this thing would work out. I wasn't expecting this. It was just one chapter before God that you said, said to me that Isaac is the one that I'm going to fulfill the promise through. My covenant's going to go through Isaac, and now you're telling me to kill him. I, I don't know if anyone in here has ever experienced this, but the promise, Jonathan, seems to be so close to us that sometimes we can touch it. Sometimes it's in the palm of our hands, but then it slips through our fingers. Sometimes something happens or someone happens and the very thing that we thought God was going to do, it's all of a sudden, it's gone. God, I thought that you were going to bless me on the job. I've been waiting for that promotion, but it seems like everybody is going around me and they're being promoted, but I'm not being promoted. And she just got promoted. She just got the position that I wanted. And now you have to act like you're happy for the person who got your blessing. She walks up to you and says, I just got the promotion. And you're like, yeah, bless your heart. And she turns around and walks off in the parking lot. And she's waving at you. And you're like, oh, don't get hit by that car, boo. <laughs> Y'all been there, I see. But that's because now your dream's been shattered. You know why? Because you've been holding on to the promise rather than the promisor. And so now what you thought would happen didn't happen and your emotions are shattered. Can I show you something? Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, early the next morning. So he receives this word. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, everybody say the third day. On the third day, there's something symbolic about the third day. If I remember, Christ was arisen on the third day. Mm. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here. Mm. He looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He looked up and he saw the place in the distance. But then it, watch this, it says on the third day, he looked up and saw the place in the distance. Verse 5, he said to his servants, stay here the, with the donkey while I, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. You need to remember that. We will worship and then we will come back. Hold on a second. Here, Abraham receives this word that seems to be contradictory to the very promise that God has given him, but there absolutely is no hesitation in his life. It says the very next morning, he gets up. Let me cut to the chase. What God is trying to say to you is that when there is not a promise for you to hold on, he's still looking for people who will press on. 
let me be a little more specific. God is looking for those people who will work the promise, but worship the promiser. Who will work the promise while worshiping the promiser. You see, our faith tends to be difficult at times. And the reason why our faith is difficult at times is because what we've placed at the center of our faith. We become so focused upon the promise of our faith. When we focus upon the promise of our faith, then it makes the promise the center of our faith. And if the promise is the center of our faith, there's no room for the promiser there. You see, what I'm trying to say is this. We're so focused on getting into the promise. What we need to be focused on is getting the promiser into us. Whew, I'm going to give you a minute to catch up with that. We're so focused on getting into the promise when God wants us to be focused on getting the promiser into us. You see, I need to do some work in this passage of Scripture. But there's three things that you can notice in this narrative. Three things. I'm going to talk about these three things simultaneously. One is pressure. Two is pursuit. Three is provision. One is the pressure of our faith. Then there is the pursuit of our faith. And then there's the provision of our faith. I want you to hang on to that thought. And, and let me take you to another passage of Scripture that we did some work in last week, but we didn't finish the work there. I want to take you there, look at a few other things so that we can use that passage of Scripture as the filter to view Abraham's life by. In Psalms chapter 46, verses 1 and following, everybody say, I'm there. I know you're not, but it'll be on the screens. Jesus, forgive them. But here's what the psalmist writes. We talked about this last week in detail. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1, the first four verses. It says, God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. God is our refuge and our strength. Not God in something else, not God in someone else, but God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in a time of trouble, not just on some days, not just on Sundays, but every day, in every situation, in every way. There he is ever-present help in a time of trouble is somebody going to applaud the goodness of God for being present when you need him most but then it goes on to say this in verses 2 and following therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and the foam and the mountains quake and they're surging there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the mount or where the most high God dwells now hang on a second how many of you are thankful for the river of God that flows from heaven into your life and saturates your environment with the goodness of God? What you need to understand, if you don't remember this from last week, there is no river in the city of God. The city of God is Jerusalem, but yet there is a river of God that flows from heaven that just absolutely drenches the most dry places in your life. I'm thankful for the river of God. But at the end of verse 4, there is something that happens that is in the original manuscript that is in some of your translations today. At the very end of that verse is the Hebrew word Selah. The Hebrew word Selah carries with it the meaning of, of, of reflection, of pausing and reflecting upon life. 
it carries with it the idea of a 360 degree panoramic view, the turnaround, if you will, so that when you're looking around 360 degrees, when you find yourself in the difficulties of life, you'll begin to realize that God has already shown up in more difficult situations so that you'll know he can turn around what is about to happen in your life. Somebody ought to praise God for the turnaround. Evidently, I don't have anyone in here who's ever been blessed by the turnaround that God has provided. When you couldn't make a way, God made a way. When you thought you were lost, God showed up. Good God Almighty. If I can stay up here and get dizzy, you can at least put your hands together. Woo! It's the Holy Spirit I'm drunk on this morning. Oh. Let me do some work here because I don't know that you're catching what I'm throwing. But if you evaluate, if you evaluate, thank you, D, you're playing so beautiful. I didn't even notice you were back there. But if you evaluate the Psalms, the book that we call the Psalms is a collaborative effort of all kinds of writers who are writing these beautiful songs to God, blessing him in the goodness of who he is. But if you study the Psalms in detail, you will realize that the majority of the Psalms begin with a detailed description of the problem that the Psalm writer is facing. The difference between Psalms 46 and most other Psalms is that the psalmist is not beginning with a description of his problem, but rather he's beginning with a detailed description of God's provision. (laughs) You're not catching it. You see, in my loose interpretation, that is not telling us that this psalm writer does not have problems. What it is telling us is that the psalm writer understands that God is greater than his problems and that God will perform the turnaround when things happen in his life that he has no control over. What the psalm writer is telling us is that when he was lost, God showed up. When he could not make a way, God showed up. When he couldn't do the things that he needed to do, God gave him a turnaround. When you were discouraged, God gave you a turnaround. When you were depressed, God gave you a turnaround. When you thought you would fail, God gave you a turnaround. When you were crying, God gave you a turnaround. And the Bible says that he turned your mourning into dancing. Somebody in this place ought to give God praise for the turnaround in your life. Mm. Look at your neighbor and say the turnaround. But it's not those four verses that I want to dissect today. It's the following. In fact, really, it's just verse 10. But I'm going to read the next five or six verses. Look what it says. It says, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in an uproar. Kingdoms fall. His voice, he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. Everybody say he's with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations that he has brought upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with a fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. He says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. You ought to circle that in your Bibles. Be still and know that I am God. I love that verse. However, to be frank with you, many times we take that verse out of context. 
when we hear that verse, we believe that verse to mean that we should stop what we're doing, be absolutely still in our activities, wait upon the omnipotence of God to show up in the pressure cooker called life. But that's not what that verse means. That verse actually means that we should stop arguing with our mouths over the plan of God and surrender to his plan. Hold on a second. Hold on. It gets better. In fact, one theologian says this, that we should focus upon the fact. This is what this verse means, that we should focus upon the fact that there is one victorious God who can take any situation and he can turn it around. Good Lord, have mercy. Everybody say the turnaround. So therefore, we should stay patient. We should be persevering, holding on to the promise of God, even when the promise of God seems as if it might be getting ready to die. Hold on a second. Donna, how did we begin this message? I think we began this message with this thought. The fruit in our lives is produced when we have the perseverance to stay planted even when we don't know the plan. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, hold on a second. You see, this is a test. Abraham is under a test. If you'll remember verse 1, it says God is testing Abraham. Abraham doesn't even realize this is a test, Matt. He doesn't realize it's a test. You see, what you need to understand about a test is that a test is not there to teach you something. A test is there to determine what you already know. So the test is not there to teach Abraham something in his faith. The test is there to reveal what is in his faith. Hold on a second. Because if you'll remember, the Bible says that Abraham is a man of faith. That Abraham is the father of faith. That Abraham obeyed God when God told him to leave the Ur of the Chaldeans and to go to a land that he knew nothing about. The Bible says that Abraham went even though he didn't know where he was going. The Bible says that Abraham is a friend of God. How awesome are you when you're a friend of God? Hello? I can only imagine like Abraham walking around what would be Israel with God. <laughs> friend of God. Yeah, that's me. Friend of God. And somebody bumps into Abraham and he's like, whoa, dude. What's up with you? Friend of God here. What? You said something to me. You don't, you want me to get God? He's my friend. He'll bust you up. <laughs> friend of God. I can, I can imagine like Abraham and, and, and God like walking through Israel, you know, and, and they're coming to this body of water. And God says to Abraham, we're going to the other side. And Abraham says, we're going swimming. And God's like, I don't swim. Abraham's in the back going, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. Yeah. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend over and over. Yeah, yeah. Oh. For all of you white folk up in here. It's more like, I got friends in high places. 
Where the praises roll and communion chases my blues away. Some of the white folk are still going, what's he talking about? Where was I at? Holy Spirit, come on back. Where was I at? Oh, okay, okay. So God comes to Abraham and he says to Abraham, he says, he says, um, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am. You see, he can talk to Abraham that way because they're friends and also because he's just given Abraham this covenant. You know, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky through your offspring, Isaac. He's like, yeah, here I am. He's been waiting over 100 years or so for this child. Now this child is growing up. <laughs> here I am. And he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son. Where am I taking him? Camping? He says, no, you're going to sacrifice him. What? Hold on a second. That, that's not what I expected to hear from you. That's not what we had planned. God, whoa, 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 whoa. it was just the one chapter before in chapter 21 that you said the covenant is coming through Isaac. And he's not old enough for the covenant to have come through him yet. What do you mean to, to, to take his life? I don't understand. What do you mean kill the promise? You see, for some of you, and I don't know who this is for, but the promise, you feel like it's dying right in front of you. You've done everything that you can, everything that you know to do, but it seems like it's dying in front of you. Maybe God promised you financial restoration, and you're doing everything that you know to do. You're watching your money. You're going through Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. You got your envelope with your cash in it for that month. You're paying your tithes, and like everything's cool, but then all of a sudden your hot water heater explodes, and there goes your envelope. Maybe you're, you know, believing God, God spoke a word over you that he's going to make your land prosperous and that he's going to bless your lying down and you're rising up. You're coming in and you're going out, bless you in the city and in the field, which means your workplace. But yet you're doing everything you're supposed to do at the workplace, but yet you're passed over for promotion. You're giving to God. You're working the job the way God would want you to work it. You're getting there early. You're staying late, but it seems like everybody else is coming around you, getting the promotion that you thought that you should get, you know, and then all of a sudden, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you pray for something because there's a bad situation in your life. And after you pray, pray for the bad situation it goes from bad to worse you ever had that happen and so you're saying to God, God, you said that you would not give me more than I can bear. Well, let me tell you something. Let me make this announcement to you. If you are breathing, you can bear it. What you need to understand is even though your relationships are overwhelming, even though your finances are unraveling, even though your career is not doing what you wanted it to do, you need to do the turnaround. You need to persevere and know that he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble and hang on to the promise, but you need to focus on the promise, sir. Good God Almighty, somebody say the turnaround so what abraham had to discover in this process was that he needed to learn the difference between trusting the promise and trusting the promiser See, we have a tendency in life to take the promise and place it in front of God. And we'll help God accomplish the promise, even if it means we have to be disobedient. Hello? 
We tend to negotiate with God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But notice something. The Bible says Abraham came, or God came to Abraham. Abraham said, here I am. And then he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac. He was very descriptive. Your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. Abraham could have said, okay, but I have another son. His name is Ishmael. He's an illegitimate son. I had him with a handmaiden. I can go get him, and I can sacrifice him, and God will still be okay with it. Hold on a second. I I need to show you something. Go back to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, verse 3. Hold on. Let me show you verse 3 again. It doesn't say that Abraham went off and found Ishmael. It doesn't say that he put together a committee. Hey, we got to outsmart God here. We got to figure out a way to do this plan because God's kind of right now um, a little off its rocker. He's not doing the things we thought he should do. So we're going to help him out with this. No, it doesn't say that. It says early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. No hesitation. I cannot begin to articulate the confusion, the pain, the difficulty. I cannot begin to articulate what is happening in his mind. But what I do see is this extreme obedience to go. And what I have come to understand is that this is not a story about a promise. This is a story about persevering in the promise. This is a story about the process of persevering in the midst of the promise. Everybody say process. We're a work in progress, and there is a process that we must follow. Hold on a second. Let me me be a little more specific. You can't worship the promise. You've got to worship the promiser. The promise is only a byproduct of your worship that's yielded or and given to the promisor. So you can experience, grab this, you can experience breakthrough and restoration in your marriage if you're not willing to live the restorative qualities in your marriage. In other words, you can't experience the promise of restoration in your marriage if you're going to be selfish, unloving, angry. (laughs) Hello? God is saying that we've got to have some of the love and, and, and selflessness and, and those things, the restorative qualities. Let me go one step further. You see, we don't worship salvation. God gave us salvation, but we don't worship salvation. We worship the God who bought our salvation through the gift of Jesus Christ. What I am trying to say is we don't, we don't worship our salvation. We worship the God, but we work our salvation because every single day there are some things that we need to be saved from. Are you grabbing what I'm throwing this morning? Good Lord, have mercy. So, so hang on. Hold, hold, hold what's happening here. So then... We see that this is God wanting us not to worship the promise, but to work the promise and worship the promiser. Watch something. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. It says on the third day. Everybody say on the third day. The third day. Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. In other words, they had journeyed for three days. 
what you need to understand about the significance of, of the third day is there is symbolism there that is pointing back to Jesus. Because remember, on the third day, he caused the stone to be rolled away and he was resurrected and he walked out. What Abraham is letting us know is that when he left and he began his journey, the very first day that he believed at that moment, Isaac was dead because he was that committed to obedience. And now it is the third day. Oh, Lord, this is getting deep. Watch. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Hold on a second. We've been in the pressure cooker of life, the pressure of our faith. But now he says, we are going to go over there. We will worship. Everybody circle worship. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham knows that he's going to sacrifice Isaac, but he says we. He doesn't say we are going over to worship and I am coming back to you. He says we are going over to worship and we are coming back to you. Hold on a second. We are going over to worship and we are coming back to you. Mm. Time out for a second. There is the pressure of our faith, but now we see the pursuit of our faith. Because the word worship in this passage of Scripture is the very first time in the Bible that the word worship is used in conjunction with God. It is the very first time that worship is used in conveying how we have a responsibility to pursue God. In fact, the word worship that is used in the Hebrew in this passage of Scripture is the Hebrew word shakar. you got to have a little phlegm in your throat. Shakar. Shakar. <laughs> Not quite that much, but you get the point. Shakar. You know what shakar means? It means to bow down. And worship. It means to pursue God and bow down and worship. Hold on a second. Here is Abraham saying, we will go over and worship and we will come back. He's in the pressure cooker of life, but he's running towards his God. How many times do we have troubles in our lives? How many times do we have the pressing of life, but we run away from the things that are pressing us when God said, I want you to run towards me? You see, the one thing that Abraham realizes is that all things are possible with God. And he believes that if he takes Isaac's life, that God will raise him from the dead. Abraham realizes that all things are possible for God except one thing. And that is that it's impossible for God to break his promise. We will go over and worship and we will come back. Hmm. Look at verses 6 through 8. Verses 6 through 8 says this, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son, Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Here is Isaac carrying the wood up the hill so that he is going to carry his own wood that he will be ultimately sacrificed on. Does that not remind you of a Savior who carried wood up the hill called the cross, called Golgotha, who was the ultimate sacrifice for us? Good Lord, have mercy. Y'all ain't listening to me, so D, let me hang on a second. Let me give you a high five, D. Thank you, D. That's my amen corner back there. Look what it says. It says, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Abraham, 
father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Uh Uh-oh. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Hold on a second. It says, God will provide, my son. Isaac's sitting there and he says, Dad, where, 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 where's the lamb for, for this burnt offering? And, and, and Abraham says, Son, God, God will provide. Here is Abraham alluding to the provision of God. Hold on a second. There is the pressing of our faith. There is the pursuit of our faith. Now there is the provision of our faith. He says, God will provide. He says, God will provide. Hold on a second. He says, God will provide. I need this to resonate in your spirit. Ryan, God will provide. Jim, God will provide. Terry, God will provide. Dan, God will provide. Shannon, God will provide. Angela, God will provide. He's telling you that God is your provision. When you have the pressing of life and you have the pursuit of your faith, God will provide. When you think you're down and out, God will provide. When you don't have enough, God will provide. When you don't have enough strength, God will provide. When you don't have enough help, God will provide. When you don't have enough hope, God will provide. When you don't have enough this, God will provide. When you don't have enough rest, God will provide. When you don't have nothing but light, God will be your abundance because he says he shall supply he shall provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory let me tell you something the strength of your faith does not come by your supply it doesn't come by your resources the strength of your faith comes when you understand that he is with you because the same spirit that raised christ from the dead dwells in you he's an ever-present help when there is pressing in your life come on he'll give you the turnaround somebody give god praise for the turnaround in your life good lord have mercy at this moment everyone in the audience should be on their feet that was in my notes i don't know why i put that there wow hold on a second let me take you back oh oh Look what happens after that, verses 9 and following. It says, when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham, he built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. Sound familiar? He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. What you need to understand is that we picture this as Isaac being this little boy. Most theologians believe that Isaac is probably 20 years old. That Isaac could beat up the old man. (laughs) But instead, Isaac willingly lays his life on the wood. Does it not remind you of a Savior who could have called 10,000 angels, but instead he stretched open his arms on a cross? Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Daddy, here I am. 
The same way the story began. He said, here I am. God says, this time, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now that I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What he's saying is, now that I know that you worship me, not because of what I can give to you, but because of who I am. Now that I know that you haven't had a spiritual drift in taking, taking all of the things that I've given you and placed them in the center of your life, but rather you've kept me there. Now that I know. Wow. You see, if you're at the movies and you're watching this event unfold, this is the place where Abraham has the knife in the air and, and, and you're like getting uneasy in your seat and you're biting your fingernails at this moment. Like if I'm at home and I'm watching this unfold on TV and I have the ability to play it back, there are times, and this aggravates my family, there are times when my ADHD has to know something. Here is Abraham, he's about to kill his son. And I, I'm just kind of getting nervous with all of this transpiring. So what I'll do is I'll pause the event. I'll look at the timeline of the story because if there's some unresolved matters in the story that are not resolved yet and they need to be resolved in the right way, I want to make sure that there's enough time in the storyline to resolve it or else I'm going to turn it off. You're not catching what I'm throwing. You see, so that you can turn it on and, and, and hit the timeline and you can see, oh yeah, there's enough time for the turnaround. Oh Lord, have mercy. What I'm trying to say to you is some of you think it's over, but it's not over. There's enough time for the turnaround. Some of you think that you're at the end. You're not at the end. There's about to be a turnaround in your life and God's going to do things because he gave us a greater sacrifice. He gave us Jesus who died so that we could live and on the third day he was resurrected so that we could have a turnaround come on somebody give him praise up in this place yeah the turnaround the turnaround the turnaround stay on your feet I'm gonna close but can I show you two more things can I show you two more things I'm very conscientious of the time. You're going to be out of here on time. But you have to see this. Because this is something that jumped out in my spirit that I had never noticed before. Verse 13 says, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over, he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Hold on a second. If you'll remember in verse 2, when I first started reading it, I said to you that God told Abraham to go to a place. And when you get there, I'll show you that place. You just walk. And when you get there, I'll tell you that you're there. If you go to cemetery, seminary, catch that on the way home. If you go to that place, Theologians, professors will tell you that there was something sacred about that place, and, and, and there was. But can I tell you something? The place did not become sacred until after this moment. This particular place, anyway, became sacred in, in verse 14. You'll see why here in just a minute. 
So I began to say, what was it about this place, God? And then it hit me. It was sacred, not really because of what was going to happen necessarily in verse 14, but it was the place that God wanted him to stop at because God had a ram awaiting for him. Hold on, hold on. You're not catching this, so I wrote this down this morning. You got to grab it. You got to grab it. I wrote this down. What that means is this God will have what you need waiting on you when you get there. Lord have mercy. God will have what you need waiting on you when you get. It's the turnaround, somebody. It's the turnaround. God, when you begin to walk, Beth, God will have what you need. Come on, somebody. Give him praise. Uh, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Ho, 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 ho. Verse 14. This is the second thing, and I'm closing with this. This is my 15th closing. Verse 14 says, so Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. Mm, The very first mentioning of the Hebrew name of God, Jehovah Jireh. It says, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The Lord will provide. Hold on a second. How did we start this? We started this with this thought. The faith or the fruit in your life will be produced when you have the perseverance to stay planted even when you don't know the plan. Be still and know that I am God because God is the one victorious God who can turn things around. You see, He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He'll give to you the turnaround in your faith. He'll give to you the turnaround in your finances. He'll give to you the turnaround in your physical body. He'll give to you the turnaround in your relationships. He'll give you the turnaround when you don't know what the answer is. He'll give to you the turnaround. Somebody give Him praise up in this place.